section twenty three of the crusades by george william cox this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter thirteen the eighth crusade the havoc wrought by the Chorasmian inroad was alleged by pope innocent the fourth as a reason for sending forth another crusade in a council held at lyons in twelve forty five the bishop of Beritus dwelt on the miserable state of the christians in the holy land and it was resolved that another effort should be made for its deliverance honorius wrote to henry the third of england to impress upon him the duty of taking up the cross like his lion-hearted predecessor but henry had in simon of montfort earl of leicester a more pressing antagonist than egyptian sultans or Chorasmian savages the pope found fuel more easily kindled in the heart of louis the ninth of france this saint the very type of royal monks and devotees was ten years old when on the death of his father louis the eighth in twelve twenty six he succeeded to the throne by his mother blanche of castile the regent of the kingdom the child was brought up with a strictness to which he answered with unbounded docility in his early youth the beauty of some fair maidens drew from him a glance expressive of some admiration his mother told him that she would rather see him dead than that he should entertain even a sinful thought his own will would have led him to assume the obligations of the cloister but the interests of the state demanded his marriage and his wife margaret of provence passed with her husband under the rigid discipline of the queen mother his severity to himself grew with his years at night he would rise from his bed and pace his chamber in the coldest season a shift of the coarsest hair-cloth worn under his skin furnished a desirable torture fruit he tasted only once in the year on fridays he never changed his dress and never laughed the iron chain scourges which he carried at his waist in an ivory case drew blood from his shoulders once every week of the year and thrice in every week during lent he would walk for miles to distant churches wearing shoes without soles he would scarcely content himself with two three or even four masses a day and if he made a journey his chaplain recited the offices on the road even monks tried to check an asceticism almost exceeding that which was demanded by the rules of benedict dominic or francis the king asked whether he would have incurred the same rebuke had he spent twice as much time in hawking and dicing no reproach no sarcasm no insult could disturb the serenity of his humble soul you are not a king of france exclaimed a woman who was pleading her cause before him you are a king only of priests and monks it is a pity that you are king of france you ought to be turned out you speak truly answered louis it has pleased god to make me king it had been well had he chosen some one better able to govern this kingdom rightly the woman was sent away with a gift of money and money was a thing on which the king set little store and which he seldom needed except for the purchase of relics 
here his avarice was unbounded and we have seen him paying the enormous sum of ten thousand silver marks for the genuine crown of thorns preserved in the church of sancta sophia to such a man absolute obedience and implicit trust not only in god but in every article or proposition set forth as forming part of the christian faith were the first the most indispensable of all virtues not one point in all the theology of the church was to be called into question there was not one which was not to be received as absolutely true do you know the name of your father he asked his seneschal the lord of joinville who accompanied him to palestine and whose inimitable memoirs bring the man and his age before us in living reality yes answered the seneschal his name was simon how do you know that again asked louis because my mother has told me so many times then answered the king you ought perfectly to believe the articles of faith which the apostles of our lord have testified to you as you have heard the credo chanted every sunday for questioning and argument his system had no place under no circumstances could there ever be need of any he related to joinville with hearty approval the conduct of a knight who during a disputation between some jews and the monks of the abbey at cluny asked leave of the abbot to say a few words with some difficulty his request was granted raising himself on his crutches the old warrior beckoned the rabbi to draw near and then put to him one question do you believe in the virgin mary who bore our saviour jesus christ and that she was a virgin when she was the mother of god the jew answered promptly that he believed not one word of it fool that thou art replied the knight for daring to enter a christian monastery when thou disbelievest these things for this madness thou shalt now pay lifting up his crutch he struck the man a blow on the ear which smote him to the ground his comrades fled away from the scene of controversy while the abbot came forward to reprove the knight for his folly thou art the greater fool was the retort in permitting an assembly from which good christians might be listening to their arguments have gone away unbelievers the king joinville tells us clinched the moral of the story in the following words no one however learned or perfect a theologian he may be ought to dispute with jews the layman whenever he hears the christian faith impugned should defend it with a sharp-edged sword which he should drive up to the hilt into the bodies of the unbelievers we cannot really know the history of an age if we do not really know some at least of the men who lived in it and this fact gives in the case of louis the ninth an importance to details which we might be tempted to pass with a sigh perhaps or a smile do you wash the feet of the poor on holy thursday he asked the lord of joinville oh fie was the answer no never will i wash the feet of such fellows it is ill said indeed answered the king for you should never hold in disdain what god did for our instruction for he who is lord and master of the universe did on that day holy thursday wash the feet of all his apostles telling them that he who was their master had thus done 
that they in like manner might do the same to each other i therefore beg of you out of love to him first and then from regard to me that you will accustom yourself to do so another sermon the gentleness of which makes us forget its tedious prosing rebuked joinville's impetuosity in saying that he would rather have committed thirty deadly sins than be a leper louis was in short a man who would have loved all men had he not been taught to believe that unbelief heresy or even doubt honest doubt was for him of course a thing inconceivable put the unbeliever or doubter beyond the pale of christian charity for jews then or infidels he avowed the most burning hatred although probably this hatred would have vanished like morning mist before the sight of a jew or infidel in dire distress or agony but in spite of his bigotry and narrowness his stern asceticism his incessant sermonizing there was in him a depth of sweetness and gentleness a genuine goodness of heart and life which won for him the love of thousands who made little attempt to follow his example in an age infamous for its foulness of speech and the profanity of its oaths the purity of his language was never tarnished in his quaint phrases joinville says of him i never heard him at any time utter an indecent word nor make use of the devil's name which is now very commonly uttered by every one a practice which i firmly believe far from being agreeable to god is highly displeasing to him nay more these qualities were in him combined with a sound sense and firmness of will which made him in all cases of right and duty hard as adamant and effectually crushed the contempt which some might have been tempted to feel for his superstitions he could bear rebuke patiently but they who thought that they might take advantage of his devotion to encroach on his rights as king or even on the rights of his neighbours found themselves speedily undeceived when gregory the ninth in twelve thirty nine after his second and final rupture with frederick the second deposed him from his imperial throne and offered the dignity to louis's brother robert the meek and gentle king replied to the pope in the following words whence is this pride and daring of the pope which thus disinherits a king who has no superior nor even an equal among christians a king not convicted of the crimes laid to his charge even if these crimes were proved no power could depose him but that of a general council on his transgressions the judgment of his enemies is of no weight and his deadliest enemy is the pope to us he has not only thus far appeared guiltless he has been a good neighbour we see no cause for suspicion either of his worldly loyalty or of his catholic faith this we know that he has fought valiantly for our lord jesus christ both by sea and land so much religion we have not found in the pope who endeavoured to confound and wickedly supplant him in his absence while he was engaged in the cause of god in this cause as interpreted by the religion of the time this guiltless but stout-hearted champion of justice and right was now to imperil life and limb without a shade of fear 
and with as complete a lack of every quality needed in a general and leader of armies a more thorough contrast to frederick whom he thus valiantly defended it would be impossible to imagine to him the learning the grace the refinement of heathen philosophers and poets the music and songs of all poets of all ages were beyond expression horrible of an intercommunion of nations founded on commerce learning and art he would have not the faintest notion to the best of his power he would administer justice in his own land so long as he remained in it when his duty as a champion of the cross called him elsewhere he would leave it with fifty thousand men in his train having formed no military plans but under a profound conviction that god whom he sought to serve would fight his battles and that if it should not be so the result would be due only to his own sins and sinfulness to the remonstrances of his mother who sought to dissuade him from the enterprise his ear was utterly deaf he was seized with illness life seemed to be gone an attendant thinking that it had gone drew a covering over his face it was withdrawn by another and the king was heard to say god has raised me from the dead give me the cross the die was cast nine months later he assumed the badge publicly in the parliament of paris and at christmas in the same year he distributed to his courtiers his usual gift of a new robe to each by his orders a red cross had been embroidered on these garments between the shoulders and the nobles owned themselves fairly entrapped they must accompany the king two years more were spent in preparations on the twelfth of june twelve forty eight louis received from the papal legate at the abbey of st denis his purse and pilgrim staff with the oriflamme or sacred banner of the saint at the end of august he sailed from france eight months were spent in cyprus where his people were fed in great part by the emperor frederick the kindness called forth a warm letter to the pope pleading for the absolution of a man who had thus befriended the soldiers of the cross his letter was treated with contempt in the spring of the next year twelve forty nine he sailed for egypt and as soon as his fleet was off damietta his envoys hastened to the sultan with alarming pictures of their master's power and with a summons for immediate submission the sultan replied that his cause was just that those who made war without just cause should perish and that mighty armaments had often been destroyed by a handful of soldiers the campaign began with a signal success the garrison of damietta struck with something like panic fear fled at the sight of the fifty thousand crusaders landing in the pomp of military parade the place was taken but the people had hurried away to cairo having first set fire to that quarter of the city in which they had stored their merchandise and their most valuable property this victory had its usual result on the crusaders the tenor of louis's saintly life was unbroken but within a stone's throw of his tent his people were indulging in unbounded debauchery later in the season an addition to their force was made by two hundred english knights under william longsword now bishop of salisbury and in november the army began its march toward cairo 
their progress never easy owing to the assaults of the enemy was effectually checked at the canal of ashmoon the causeways which they attempted to construct were destroyed and their machines burnt with greek fire at length the bedouin for a large bribe showed them a ford the passage was effected and the enemy fled before them on the other side with good order and discipline the crusaders might now have achieved some solid success but the count of artois brother of the king could not wait to be joined by the main army he must press on at once against the fugitives in vain the grand master of the templars reminded him of the folly of trusting to a feeling of passing fear the count deliberately imputed his advice to systematic treachery do you suppose replied the templar with calm dignity that we have left our homes and our substance and taken the religious habit in a strange land only to betray the cause of god and to forfeit our salvation the bishop of salisbury offered his mediation it was rejected with a biting insult in thorough disorder the crusaders rushed into mansurah and seeing their condition at a glance the mamelukes rushed upon their prey a sufficient force was sent to cut off all communication between the men with the count of artois and the main body under the king boiling water stones blazing wood were hurled upon them from the houses the count of artois was killed before he could see the full effects of his folly and his death was soon followed by that of william longsword the utter destruction of his force was prevented only by succour from the king who feeble though he may have been as a general showed in the hour of danger a dauntless and unselfish bravery both sides had suffered fearfully but the king was cut off from damietta and sickness of a singularly malignant kind began to waste his camp louis offered the army a treaty based on the exchange of damietta for the lordship of jerusalem the negotiations failed and retreat became inevitable but at the river and before the canal they had to fight at desperate disadvantage the courage of the king was unbroken but his strength was gone he sank down in a state of exhaustion after exertions worthy of the english richard and awoke to find himself a prisoner twelve fifty some there were says joinville to whom the idea of retreat was intolerable and the thought of the age is vividly marked in the story which tells us how james du chastel bishop of soissons preferred to live with god to returning to the land of his birth how he made a charge on the turks as if he alone meant to fight their whole army and how they soon sent him to god and placed him in the company of martyrs by forthwith cutting him down the crusade seemed to be closing in hopeless disaster the queen at damietta was about to become a mother when she heard the tidings of her husband's captivity a premature birth followed she called her babe tristan the child of sorrow louis himself had to undergo greater misery of ten thousand christian prisoners in mansurah those only who embraced the faith of islam were allowed to live some recanted and louis had the bitterness of witnessing their apostasy the vast majority stood firm and he had the agony of seeing them die 
but at no time was he known to exhibit a more unclouded trust in god a more cool bravery toward his enemy peace was offered to him if he would surrender all the christian fortresses in syria he answered that they were not his to surrender and that he could not dispose of that which belonged to frederick the second as king of jerusalem he was threatened with torture to his limbs with the degradation of being carried from city to city and exposed for the gratification of sightseers he replied quietly i am your prisoner you may do with me as you will at last it was arranged that damietta should be given up that the king should pay one million byzants for his own ransom and half a million french livres for his barons he demurred to the amount for himself but agreed at once to the other the king of france he said must not haggle about the freedom of his subjects not to be outdone by his unselfishness the sultan turan shah struck off one-fifth from his ransom it was almost the last act of the sultan's life his murder heightened the dangers of the christian captives the firmness of louis in refusing to take an oath couched in what he pronounced to be blasphemous language increased them still more the difficulty was at length got over and after enduring sufferings for which the saracens said if we may believe joinville that if they had had to undergo them they would have renounced mohammed the king was free still louis with the bare relics of his army could not bring himself to return home he had written again and again to urge on henry of england the duty of coming himself with instant and effectual succour he could not think that henry would disregard his entreaties especially when these were backed by offers of the surrender of normandy he still fancied that the vicar of christ himself having made up his long quarrel with frederick would hasten to join his faithful children and lead them in a supreme effort which could not fail of success he was abandoned by his brothers the counts of anjou and poitou but with his faithful seneschal he made a pilgrimage in sackcloth to nazareth the sight of the holy sepulchre the dearest longing of his heart he firmly denied himself the permission to visit it was freely offered by the sultan of damascus but louis would not leave behind for future sovereigns a precedent by which they might reap the fruits of an enterprise in which they had failed he returned to europe like richard of england humbled but not dishonoured rather to speak more strictly having won that serene renown which was soon to place his name in the long catalogue of the saints End of section twenty three